So, acceptance. Yes, why do we struggle so much with acceptance? Well, when you really break it down and you look at why you can't, we find a thousand reasons to justify our inability to accept. But ultimately, lack of acceptance is a clinging or attachment to a particular view, a position, a stance, an opinion. So our lack of acceptance is very much wrapped up with our ideas of ourselves. If I was to accept that, it would challenge or violate in some way the idea of myself and how I think the world should be. So, yes, a big part of getting to a place of acceptance is yielding on our position. One of the classic areas that we find it hard to accept is when we feel wronged, uh, wronged or hard done by. We won't forgive because it's just simply wrong that someone could be so inconsiderate to, towards us. And I suppose, in a way, was it America that asked me about karma? The really challenging thing that is probably the thing that is most difficult to say is that when we get badly treated, somewhere in us there has to be a magnetic charge that attracts that mistreatment, which means we have created a volition somewhere in our mind that we maybe can't remember because it could be extremely long, a long time ago. But we have mistreated someone else. Now, the thing about karma is that it doesn't necessarily fruit within the lifetime that we create it. The Buddha teaches us that probably only one-seventh of the karma created in this life fruits in this life. And to understand that, we have to understand the way the conscious and the unconscious mind accumulate their impressions and become conditioned. But basically, most of what you ex experience in this life is the fruiting of volitional, volitional charge or karma that you created and accumulated in the past. So when we fail to accept things, we're basically failing to acknowledge that I might have within me the capacity to do such things myself. Now, we might like to think that we are well enough behaved or considerate and kind enough that we wouldn't harm another. But even the Buddha acknowledged that if he had lived the life that Angulimala, the bandit, had lived, he himself would have become a treacherous and murderous bandit. So the point is, we can't say that I would never behave like that. We'd like to think that we would never behave like that. But when your buttons get really pushed, how much do you lose sight of the best part of you? And this is the way we have to re reflect. When we are trying to find forgiveness or acceptance for someone else, we have to recognize that actually, if I'm really honest with myself, 
if I was going through, if I could really see what this person is going through and really see their pain, if I was in such pain, would I behave any differently? Now, of course, we'd like to think we would. But the Buddha suggests that we might not. So, you know, we behave well when things go well for us. We're kind and generous when we experience kindness and generosity. But are we kind and generous when we experience the opposite? And so it might well be that when you see behavior in another that you can't experience, that's why you can't accept, it's because they are not experiencing the degree of kindness, generosity and consideration that you have grown used to. So reaching a state of acceptance is a really, really important part of our spiritual maturity because it, I suppose, signifies that we've reached a stage where we recognize that I myself am far from perfect and that we all only really behave badly when we're suffering or when we're in pain. So, it's all very well to talk about it. But what can we actually do to get to a place of acceptance? Yes, I think it's a very delicate subject, isn't it, karma? It's so misunderstood and difficult to understand. It's one of the things that we are quite tempted to dismiss as, a, as not something that functions in our life uh, because it's convenient to dismiss it and challenging to accept the implications of it. But the Buddha went so far as to say that one of the greatest causes of our suffering is our unwillingness to accept the way that karma functions within our lives. Because if anything, that's probably the single biggest cause for us reaching a stage where we are unwilling to accept how things are. And of course, accepting that everything that happens has a cause behind it, that also challenges greatly. But when we are able to accept that, we start to make sense of the world and what we see going on in it and around us in a way that we might not have otherwise. And that's, I would have said that one of the things that clears so much of our confusion about why life is the way it is, is getting to a place where we do start to understand, even just partially, the way that karma functions, the way that past volitional action produces present effects and the way that present volitional action causes future effects. It's so fundamental to understanding the way of things. And yet, you know, I think in our, our, our culture, it doesn't even ra raise its head. 
it's, there's no place for an understanding of the way things might have been produced by things that have gone on in the past. But when you look really carefully, everything that we're experiencing now, all of it is the fruiting of seeds sown somewhere in the past. And seeing that, of course, helps us to accept and find the forbearance and the patience and realize that it doesn't matter how hard it is now. What matters is the way we meet what's happening now. Good luck or bad luck coming into our life now is the result of things that have already come to pass over which we have no control. Good luck or bad luck or good fortune or misfortune that we experience in the future will be utterly determined by the qualities with which we meet what we are experiencing now. So Johnny asked the question, we were talking about karma, and um, that quote, the, one of the last things the Buddha ever said, do good things, avoid doing bad things, and purify your mind. That is the teaching of all the Buddhas. And Johnny's asking the question, what is meant by purifying your mind? Well, yes, big question. I think it helps to see our mind as a spreadsheet on which we are capable of accumulating any kind of data. Every single mind, every one of us, is capable of most sublime and the most profane mental states. There is a capacity for everything within all of us. How our mind displays itself is entirely a result of our conditioning, which, when we really break it down, is also karma. The way we've reacted to things in the past conditions the way we react in the present. You might like the idea of not being angry, but it doesn't stop you getting angry. So what does the Buddha mean when he says, purify your mind? He means to let go, to dig out at the root, the cause for your getting angry in the first place. So that you don't need to restrain yourself because there's no impulsion towards anger remaining. How do we do that? Well, I suppose modern psychology has come up with all kinds of um, suggestions about how we might reprogram our conditioning. But to really get to the square root, we have to see clearly the mechanism by which the mind arises in any particular moment. And actually, funnily enough, this is something that forms very much um, the core of our next um, course, our next online course, which I mentioned briefly in the mail-out that went out today, our course on healing meditation, um, we look in great detail at the way the mind functions. But key to understanding how we can purify the mind of its unwholesome tendencies is to recognize the causal link between how we feel and how we react. And if we can basically cut off that causal link or that chain reaction. I feel something unpleasant. I don't like it. I don't like equals 
an unwholesome reaction in my mind. Now, you might be mindful of the fact you're angry and, what should we say, suppress it or try quickly to disperse your anger, but your anger has already arisen. Now, of course, we should pay attention to the fact when our mind is firing off out of control and restrain ourselves so that it doesn't blaze like wildfire. But what the Buddha was asking us to do was to, in stages, remove the tendency so that we wouldn't have got angry or felt the impulsion to anger in the first place. And to do that, we have to learn to be with how we feel. Now, I always say to be completely with how you feel is the deepest experience you ever have. And yet it's probably one of the things we spend so much time trying to ignore. We ignore how we feel. We ignore what we feel. We try not to pay attention to the fact that I don't feel quite as settled as I like. Or the feeling unsettled prompts a restlessness that causes me to stay distracted so that I don't feel it. And in my distraction, I do things that perhaps would be more negligent than I might. It is our inability or unwillingness to acknowledge and truly be with how we feel. That is the root of this causal chain that leads to this accumulation of reactive states that become the conditioning factors of the way our mind displays itself moment to moment. Now, I hope I haven't already lost you. Did that make sense? Obviously, that's an extremely brief explanation a very deep and fundamental process that's at work in every moment of consciousness. But yes, to get to that state of acceptance and to cut off the tendency to react, we've got to be willing to be with the feeling that I don't like, which is what's really causing me to react. Yeah, there you go. There's your what do you call it, ABC's starter pack of the law of dependent origination. So what about grief then? Where does grief fit into this debate about acceptance. Somebody just said, I'm finding it hard. Yes, I struggle with my mum's passing, which happened almost four years ago. It was hard to be happy without her. Now I have moments of happiness and that brings other emotions. Do you feel perhaps guilty about feeling happy after you've lost somebody who is dear to you? Now, grief is an important emotion. It's really important to feel that we can honour our grief. Honour the memory of someone who's been dear to us when we've lost them and 
that moment, that period of grief and honouring is extremely important. And in some ways, if we don't do it, we probably carry a pain somewhere inside us for many years that isn't processed. And sometimes we find ourselves grieving the loss of someone years after we actually lost them. So how can we be with grief in a positive way? Grief itself doesn't need to scar us. You know, it's the truth that we're all going to lose and be separated from every single person that is dear to us. At some point in our life, whether we lose them because they pass before us, or we pass before them and we're separated from them, everything that is dear to us, we're going to be separated from at some point. The less willing we are to accept this basic truth of life, the harder we find it when we do experience that loss. Now, some people are fiercely and vehemently attached to their material possessions to the point they hoard things right up until the very end of their days. And others are, quite understandably, very attached to the people they love. Now, love and attachment do not necessarily belong together. It is possible to love someone very deeply unconditionally, in fact, without being desperately attached to them. Now, it often sort of makes us cringe a bit, the idea, but how can you ask me to not be attached to my mother or to my husband, to my children? And no, of course, a loving regard that constitutes a deep care for someone itself, of course, is a degree of attachment. But the attachment that is unwholesome to the point where it creates a fear within our love, a fear of loss, or might create a possessiveness or jealousy or wanting to be in control of someone else out of the fear that they might leave us, this kind of insecurity, that is an unwholesome attachment where we can't allow someone to be who they are out of fear that they might choose not to be with us. Hmm, gosh, doesn't that challenge us? The thought that my husband or my wife might not choose to be with us if they weren't bound by us, if I hadn't created a web of entanglement and attachment that kept us together. Well, it's obviously the case that attachment is a huge part of our life and a large part of the way we live our life is the result of the way that we are attached to things. Habits, what we do day to day, a lot of it is the result of attachment and the way that we behave with others. But when we come to actually lose someone that's dear to us, our grieving is a truly human um, response. That is our coming to terms with and acknowledging the fact that this person that was a big part and an important part of my life will no longer be in my life. Now that takes time to process. And that adjustment period and the honouring 
what you have lost is the healthy part of grief. And we should most definitely give ourselves permission for it in that period having lost someone. But when we find ourselves still grieving, I can't bear my life without this person. It means that we hinged too much of ourselves to that person when we were with them, that we didn't exist within our own right, that we held on to that person as the touchstone for my life, the reason or meaning behind my life. And when they're gone, I feel completely at sea or cast at sea. This is where we just have to be realistic. We have to reflect if we haven't managed to get to a healthy relationship with regards to attachment before we lose someone. If we haven't acknowledged the fact that we have to let them go prior to losing them, then in that period afterwards, we have to look carefully and see that it was always going to be the case. I was going to lose this person. And it was only because I tried to pretend to myself that that was never going to happen, that it became so unbearable when it did. And of course, if we don't feel any grief whatsoever, it means we aren't in touch with our emotions. You know, the stiff upper lip, I'm all right. How do you feel about losing your dad? No, I'm all right. Well, are you? That might be because you didn't honour what you felt. So there is the unhealthy grief, which was an excessive emotion that goes on and on on account of our inability to accept the truth. And there is the inability to feel grief because we aren't willing to acknowledge that we feel pain or that we're capable of feeling pain. Some of us feel that we have to appear strong, for example, being strong, being resolute and upright, and not wavering and being a pillar. It's a particularly male thing to do to the point that where we might be challenged and we might feel vulnerable, our response would simply be to say, I'm all right. No, I'm all right. How are you doing? How are you feeling? No, I'm doing all right. I'm fine. Well, Perhaps that's the time to ask yourself whether that's really true. Because you might not be as all right as you're telling yourself you are. And that's when it's time to acknowledge and honour what you feel. 